Yo, what's up? The intro's the same shit every week, Jeff. Welcome back to the catch-up. We running this? Yeah. What's up, fatties? <laughs> we are talking sushi today. Are we going to start using that as a hashtag? Yes. Fatties is the whole community of people who listen to this podcast because guess what, y'all? Be proud to be a fatty. You guys are listening to a podcast for an hour and a half. It is just good food, audible porn to your ears. And today we're joined by the Internet's Sushi Chefs. We have Mr. John McKinney and partner in crime, Kelly Leach. And they run a Florida-based sushi joint called Wave Asian Bistro. And if you have Instagram or Facebook, I guarantee you've seen one of their restaurant's creations before. Damn, guarantee? Guaranteed, I son. Agree. I agree. I agree. You punch that check. They collab <laughs> with YouTubers. They serve things like a 16-pound sushi donut. They have a sushi hot dog, sushi pizza, tempura French toast. And most recently... We did a video with them that featured their fried sushi crunch wrap. Yes, did you guys did. know that was seen by over 4 million people across our Facebooks and YouTubes? Facebooks, plural. All, yeah. the, all, the, all the Facebooks. All of them, man. Includes Instagram. <laughs> so Wave seems to get the sushi part right, and they're inspired by the internet. And you guys are easily like the most followed sushi restaurant on Instagram by far. You have over 120,000 followers. And now that I've built your clout up, <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you Welcome. guys on the catch up. Welcome to the pod. Welcome to the catch up. Introducing your hosts Eli Aruth, editor in chief, and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch-up. Yo, you guys flew all the way out here we for sure this podcast? Did. Yeah, we're pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is this the is this the guest that has traveled the furthest to be on our pod? Act, uh, like, actually, though. Yeah, I think so. I'm also making up this story. You guys came to Nude Beach, our uh, music and uh, food festival. How did you, did you guys have fun? We love Nude Beach. It was awesome. Good vibes, good time, great food. Snoop nice. Dogg is dope. Snoop Dogg was sick, dude. Dude, did I not get the memo of wearing nude beach shirts? Like, yeah. everyone here is wearing them. Are That's you not cool. proud of the That's festival? Cool. No, I, I, over the weekend, I'll talk then? to you about getting mine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I had to fucking steal these from the merch guy. Can we talk about... Okay, so... All right, so this, this festival is a little bit different than what we did prior years. And, like, so can I talk about a security hiccup that happened? Yeah, totally. Okay, so uh, I had lost my phone. And wait, during, during the Snoop Dogg you lost it at the at festival. The at the festival, I lost it. But the people at the festival were so cool. Like, everyone that came, they actually turned my phone in immediately, which is, like, badass. That doesn't usually happen nah. at things. They usually, like, cop it. Oh, shit, cool. Um, and so I have security take me to the front because the, the, the security guys have this... Uh, production office behind the stage. I don't know what's yeah. behind the stage. That was probably our mistake. So they think I'm trying to get backstage, but really I'm just like, hey guys, someone called me from the phone from the production office. They said my phone is backstage. 
And they're like, they're like, good story, bro. They're like, good story, bro. Everyone else wants to see Snoop too. You can sit your ass back down. And I'm like, oh, please. And so I have another security guy who doesn't really know who I am, but he's trying to help me. And he was like, this boy really did lose his phone. He'd love to just get back there. And so I'm sitting there. Security's not letting me back. The security guy goes in without me to get my phone. And while I'm waiting at the front, Dash Berlin walks right by me, goes to the security guard to go backstage because he's performing after Snoop Dogg. I don't know why. Dash Berlin just loved being out at the festival. He's <laughs> yeah. like, fuck my trailer, dude. I'm he joined us on the, the live food. stream. He was so cool. Yeah, he was Anyways, cool. he was so cool that security did not recognize him. <laughs> and me and him were trying to get backstage. I was, and I was like, yo, guys, fuck my phone. Please just let him go. He's literally the headliner and he needs to go back. Security was like, I don't know who he is. Because Dash Berlin is like an unassuming, not a mean guy, very, very wearing a yellow t-shirt, casual type dude. Yeah, he which was, was a which was amazing, by the way. Yeah. So I mean, long story short, neither Dash or I could get backstage, and we had to cut the festival short. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. For those who are just listening for the first time to the Catch Up Podcast, Nude Beach was the food festival that we threw this past weekend, and you just spent three minutes not knowing what we were talking about. But our guests went to our festival. You've been caught up. Now we should probably talk sushi. Okay. So, Jonathan, your it. your parents had a restaurant. Is that correct? Yes. And what? what and you grew up in it. I did. Yes. So, what was that restaurant? Um, he had multiple growing up from when I was a kid. Uh, we started <clears throat> in Miami where he started with like an egg roll factory. And then the bigger ones, which came to fruition when I was about six to seven years old, were the actual legit like hibachi Japanese steakhouses. So the chefs would come out, they'd do the show with the egg toss and all that stuff. And then the bar would be like a separate area and then the sushi bar would be a separate area also. So those were the types of restaurants that I was involved with growing up. How many restaurants did and you said he, so your father, how many restaurants did your father have? He started out with the first one in actually downtown Mount Dora was the first restaurant that he opened. Okay. And that's where we're located now. So. What's Mount Dora? Yeah, tell, tell me, me about it. Yeah, tell me about Mount Dora. Mount Dora is a small town where we're from. Uh, very historic. It's got a lot of quaint like little shops around there. There's also other restaurants um, that are surrounding it. The lighthouse is down there so you can check out the sunset few parks and stuff like that and um, I believe like back in the day they actually recorded like either Tarzan or the Jungle Book like the OG black and white movies oh, wow. and used the streets for like the parade scenes and stuff like that so how close is Mount Dora to like a, a town people might know like Orlando or Miami so from Miami uh, we were about four hours away oh wow okay. and from Orlando we're about 45 to 30 minutes depending on what part of Orlando you're coming from Gotcha. So would it be accurate to call it like a suburb of Orlando? Or exactly. Not? Okay. Exactly. There's a lot of freeways now and ramps that are being built close to Mount Dora that drop off straight from Orlando. So that shaves off about like 10 to 12 minutes now. Yeah. Uh, growing up, I mean, your dad had these restaurants, but did you know that you wanted to be in the restaurant industry or what did you want to do? I've always had a passion for food. I love food, yeah. whether it's eating it, preparing it, just cooking dinner for friends or family. But as far as owning one, I never uh, thought that I would own one, yeah. honestly, because, you know, I went to school. I thought I'd be a computer engineer. You know, I was like really geeky. I was into like computer sciences and stuff like that. And then uh, over time, that didn't really work out. I dropped out, came back home, kind of found my passion for food again. And that's where all the inspiration for Wave came from. Did you did you like fall into your passion for food again after dropping out? Or did you know, hey, college isn't for me. I'm going back to restaurants. 
So I didn't necessarily know at the time that my fallback would be my passion. It uh, took about a year and a half because when I moved back home, I was in my parents' house again, in my old room, so I needed to save up some cash because you know no one really likes to live with their parents. You know what I mean? You don't really have your own space, so I wanted to save up, get my own house again or an apartment or something and just move out. So over the time that I spent back home and just working the different like odd jobs throughout the restaurant, whether I was serving, bartending, filling in for sushi or even like cooking hibachi food in the back or anything like that. I just, I found it really interesting. I loved it. I get really bored easily, but when I'm hands-on in the restaurant doing things like that, I just, I thrive off of it. When you, when you went back, did you kind of expect like, yo, yo pops, I'm coming back. Like, give me the server job. Was it like, oh, you will take whatever's open in the kit. Like what was the, what was coming back actually like for you? So coming back was, it, it's always awkward, you know, at first, you know, it's just like, hey man, uh, is it cool if I have a job, you know, like it's always like kind of embarrassing to have that conversation, but it, they're very receptive, they're very open, they've always been really supportive, and there was a position for me to kind of fill in, because my parents both worked directly in the restaurant, and at the time I think my mom was kind of going through some like health issues, so I kind of relieved her from her responsibilities, and I kind of took over in that sense. Damn, nice. I mean, so did you immediately want to go in and shake things up or were you just like, you know, I'm humbled a little bit, wherever I can like help out, I'm going to help out. Or do you be like, yo, I'm going to put this 16 pound sushi donut on the map. <laughs> it took a lot of time. And honestly, my dad is very traditionalist, like a lot of Asian cultures are. And I brought a lot of ideas to the table, just, you know, at different appetizers, different cocktail ideas, even like new sushi rolls. But he was like, no. No, I don't want to. So I kind of just persevered. I created a menu even. Um, you know, I did some research and found some really cool things online. And at the time, it was the sushi donut and the sushi burrito. Mm -hmm. Those were the hottest things out at that time. So I was like, man, these things are really cool. So I actually started developing some of these things in front of him so he could see what it is that I was talking about. I was like, I think people will really like go for this, man. And he saw my drive and... After a few hard conversations, I finally asked him, I was like, do you think it would be okay for you to help me open my own restaurant? And he's like, you know what? I see your passion, your creativity. I'm, I'm going to help you do it. Wait, so this, so we we have in our, in our notes that he didn't necessarily put anything of your new menu items on his menu. Right. But then was okay with helping you start your rep. That's like such a dramatic departure to me. Like... <laughs> Like, wouldn't you just try something out in your restaurant just to see before you're just like, yeah, let's go get that new restaurant space? You would think so, but he's just been doing it for so long. I'd say like over 20 years. So he's very accustomed to having things a certain way, very accustomed to having the menu just be what it is. He was kind of scared of change, I think is what it is. Um, so with making my menu, still a little bit of skepticism, not like 100% right off bat, because there were certain things he was like, why are you putting that on there? I don't think people are going to eat that. But I was like, just, just wait and watch and see what I, what, what I'm about to do, and you know, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll really see. Eli, I, I really get why though, especially not a, not necessarily our generation, but the generation older than us, like would be scared to change their menu because if it. if you've run a restaurant and I don't know, would you say d decades, Jonathan? Like, so if you've yeah. if you've had a restaurant for decades. First off, congratulations. You are in the 4% or whatever that whatever that percentage is of restaurants that have survived that long. 
And then on top of it, if it's still working, like I would be afraid to. Yeah. And I, I obviously can't speak to the volume of your, your father's business or how it did well over the course of time. But if it's still functioning, man, like people like what they like and getting that feedback from a restaurant, like from your customer that says like, hey, I just want to order what I used to order. That's tough. That's tough feedback to hear. So I, I get it, but at the same time, it just seems like, yeah, let's go and let's go start a restaurant. Also, seems like a pretty crazy step. So your dad says your menu can't be on his menu, and then so you guys decide to open a restaurant at that point. Yeah, pretty much. And then it was from there I started getting the logos drawn up, all the artwork and stuff like that. Um, I had rough drafts, like I'd say fifty to sixty drafts of a menu you know, just to try to come up with something. Cause this was my first venture ever, like really creating something. I wanted to make sure that I touched bases on like all different types of things. So there was a little bit of variety here and there. What year is this? 2000, I'd say late 2016 okay. because we opened early in 2017. So tell me about the place you guys found. Is it anywhere near your dad's restaurant? It's about two blocks away, believe okay. it or not, <laughs> Shit, which is okay. really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how do you find the spot? What does it look like? Paint the picture. So we're on the corner of 3rd and Baker Street. And on the corner, there is a three-story building, which is an office building. Okay. We're located on the second floor, which is accessible through a staircase. Or you can go up 3rd uh, and onto Baker and access us ground level. It's a little confusing. So this but. isn't like a walking town. This isn't like a densely populated no. city, right? Like, we're, so we're a hidden gem. Okay. For sure. Okay. So then you get this. So it's almost like not built for a restaurant. It was and it wasn't. The first restaurant that was built was in the late 80s. And it was an Italian restaurant to start off with um, that folded over. And then a vegan restaurant took over, which mm. was the business before we moved in. And it was just really awkward how they had it set up. It definitely wasn't enough space. And I really had no idea how I was going to really get the layout to work out. But, um, you know, after fixing up the hood systems and stuff, because they didn't use any of that equipment at all. It was mostly like microwaves and toasters and stuff like that. Oh, so, shit. yeah, we brought in our own equipment, like the flat tops, the, uh, the fryers and all that. So Wait, real quick. Your dad's restaurant is Tepon. Uh, or when you came back, was it a Tepon restaurant? Yes. That also had sushi, right? It did, yeah. Very small sushi menu. It wasn't anything crazy. Maybe less than like 20 rolls. Mm. But that's still sushi on the menu. And then you said less than two blocks down, you're creating a sushi restaurant. Uh, that in a, was uh, in, a, in a small in a smaller town, right? Yeah. That was his original restaurant that he owned back in the 90s. Um, he sold that and ended up expanding to a bigger space in like a Winn-Dixie shopping center next to like a CF Fitness or something like that. Um, but that location originally from downtown Maldor, it's a leasing office now. Oh, gotcha. So there isn't, there wasn't two restaurants on the same block Correct. serving similar food. Right. Okay, gotcha. Dude, okay, so you, I don't get it. So you just opened this restaurant now, you have your menu, it's in the second floor of an office building and how do you like what is like the first couple days look like like do people just show up do you know how you're gonna market it do you assume you're gonna use instagram what's the deal so at first it was um we mostly used facebook okay. to start off with and we didn't really know where we were going from there and that's when i brought kelly in at the beginning too how did to you guys meet 
<laughs> yeah, that's an awkward ass. <laughs> okay. We went to Tinder? school together, but okay. you know, we ended up coming back in contact after years and years of like not talking. But I guess her version would be that I slid into the DMs and asked her to work for me. <laughs> he asked me to be a waitress and I have zero restaurant experience. What Zero. were you doing at the time? I was working for the city of Leesburg um, mm-hmm. for the housing department, actually. I've always done kind of printing and marketing, Yeah. Um, but I went to school for my business management degree. And so while I was going to school for that, I was working for the city. And you thought it'd be a good idea to answer this DM? <laughs> what, what, John, John, was that? It was charming. Was that a line? What was the line? Well, no, was it a line? Was asking oh, yeah. her to waitress for your restaurant, was that just a line? Or was it like part line, part in reality? No, absolutely not. I knew she had um, a certain level of expertise that she could <laughs> contribute to the company. But I mean, things happen over time, man. <laughs> You, said you guys that. are having fun. She is super you overqualified. Said that so straight, <laughs> you said that so straight face. I didn't know if you were sarcastic or not. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think you were. I think you were. I, I hear you. I hear you. I don't. I don't think. Yeah, you I don't were, think. I don't think you're sarcastic. I like it. Uh, that's okay. So you hire the most overqualified server. <laughs> Wait. So did you end up waitressing for the restaurant? No. No. no I, I, I shut that down very quickly. <laughs> Good. So where did the She's conversation sorry. evolve to then? Um, so he basically asked me if I wanted to be a waitress. I told him I had zero restaurant experience, um, but if he was interested in possibly having me market for him, since I did have printing and marketing experience in my past, then I would be more than more than capable to do that for him. And so what 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 next? Is that just like a, a DM conversation that's like, oh, there's interest here, but what happened next? As far as the business or Both, or yeah, personally? both. Yeah, both. I feel like we just spent a lot of time together and just kind of getting to know each other because I mean it's very it was kind of an intimate thing you know okay um, like we were we were close you know we were getting to know each other and just the way that we work together it's it's really unique we feed a lot of energy off of each other like things that I don't have personally she has he, so we complement each other very well in he, our work style he also has the experience um, and since I've never been in a restaurant, but I do have my business degree, we kind of meet each other in the middle. So, so I come with the practicality, or I guess he comes with the practicality, and I come with the rule book of how things are actually supposed to go, and and you know, set the guidelines, I guess. So Kelly, from an outside perspective, with that business degree, did you look at opening a restaurant as an opportunity that you seriously wanted to be a part of? Was that something that you saw? Hey, something in Mount Dora with sushi like this is interesting like what what drew you to the opportunity i really just honestly wanted to see jonathan succeed in what he was doing i believed in who he was where he came from i knew that his dad had run restaurants for a long time i knew they had good recipes i knew that it was proven i knew the city really was fond of what they had to offer um and i realized what it was that he was trying to bring to the table i saw how inventive it was and i knew that it was something that i could really get behind um, so I, I took the plunge. I quit my job at the city, oh, wow. and I just ended up helping him full time with social media and really getting people in the door and and trying to to make it happen. Hey, well, it I, worked. <laughs> well, and at what point did you, did you like? What's the timing from when you guys open to Kelly when you're quitting your job and saying I'm we're doing this? I think it took about a year. 
like a good year or so. Maybe a little bit less than a year. Um, Jonathan started having various issues in the restaurant as far as not only staff, but also people that wanted to do marketing with him, but they weren't necessarily the right people. Mm. Um, So I I found myself being a bulldog in most of those situations, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't physically there. So it was hard to assert a certain expectation when you're not there. Um, So I knew that in order for him to really get to where he needed to be, I had to step back and I had to help him in that aspect. Wow. Okay. So that year's going on and, and the restaurant's open during this time or building towards opening. And then what does the menu look like initially? Was it as crazy as it is now? It started off with mostly like hibachi dishes. So you'll have your your noodles, your stir fried vegetables, your choice of proteins, like either like chicken, beef, shrimp or anything like that. So that was like the hot food aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then we also just kind of did that in various forms where it was like either in like in a bento box, you can get a half roll with it and stuff like that. And then we just only started with the burrito and the donut. That Those was were it. the crazy things. That, that, that was the beginning, yeah. And then over time, we just started getting tagged in certain pictures. I think the burger was the next thing that we brought yeah. into it. And then sushi fries, we made by accident. And that was that's like one of the hottest things that we sell on the menu right now. What's a sushi fry? Let's talk about these dishes, because I think we're glossing over these dishes, yeah. and they're very creative, and the internet loves them, and they're bringing people to your store, but let's let's say sushi fries, because I've actually haven't heard of those. What is sushi fries? Crinkle cut french fries. Okay. Fried golden crispy, mm. toss them with some salt, mm. and togarashi, okay. that okay. Japanese seven spice. Yeah. Mm. Put those on a plate. Okay. Then we have a signature uh, crab mix that we make, a spicy crab, so mm. we take crab mix it up with japanese mayonnaise some sriracha yeah. sesame oil Talk some chili me. paste okay mm-hmm. put a big amount of that spicy crab on top and then spicy mayo and eel sauce you're good oh to go then there's like masago and scallions too i have never se- why have i never seen that it's just hype bro why is- <laughs> yo <laughs> california behind on this <laughs> yeah that's great that's awesome you floridians are out there <laughs> um Dang, talk to me wild. about so the the sushi donut also, because that was kind of a big thing for you guys early on. Walk me through what a sushi donut is because then you also magnified it later on in right. your guys' career. But talk to me about the original sushi donut. So the OG sushi donut, um, they were really popular online. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that we do that's different compared to most places that try to do sushi donuts is that we stuff ours completely. Yes, I so, like that. Yeah. Like what, that. Do you, so, what, do you, yeah. what do you mean by that? So most places they just do the rice and right. it's just a donut shaped rice mold and they just lay things on top of it yeah. whereas we mold it stuff it with either avocado yeah. crab meat spicy tuna yeah. seal it up and then we start putting like the fresh fish on top of the avocado the fish roe sesame like seeds and so stuff. so it's not yeah. just like tons and tons of rice is what you're saying exactly like the, the, yeah. the sushi donuts that i've seen are pretty much all the foundation is all rice yeah. and then there's some seasoning there and then everything's kind of laid on top yeah they went the Krispy Kreme route Krispy Kreme really invented the <laughs> the stuffed ring oh it's game changing I like for lo- the longest time I was like why is no one stuffing a donut in the ring right you always have your stuffed donuts that are just like the flat full circle but like someone had to get it's it seems like a very challenging shape to yeah. succeed with like a stuffed donut ring and you guys did it with the with the rice yo so I how do, how do you guys how do you guys i mean is it i know this is audio only but how do you how do you guys make that donut stuff it and then put layers on top we just use a uh, a bakery mold like mm-hmm. a basic ring mold it's got like six of them on there and then we just line it with some plastic lay the sushi rice out and just you pretty much just use your fingers and mold it together stuff it from there and then afterwards you 
get a little bit of rice and seal it up with some nori. So within the first year, you guys have, you've mentioned a, a burrito and the donut on the menu. Right. So that's obviously, if we're talking 2016 uh, That was 2017. 2017. Right. So you guys are on trend. You guys, you guys have, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, menu items that no one else in Mount Dora, maybe not even Orlando, really has at that time. Right. Are they actually selling for you guys? Because I think there's a, there's a difference between an entrepreneur seeing what's happening in the, in the like, U.S. national food landscape and bringing some of that on their menu but did people want it like out the gate were those good selling items for for the restaurant to start off with it worked out very well just because of the shock value i mean the sushi burrito is like this giant roll right Mm -hmm. like no one else is doing that um and the sushi donut was just really like gorgeous to look at not only like you know does it taste really good but it's just aesthetically like visually pleasing yeah and they did work out very well it drew in a lot of people we offer them like a la carte where you can get like one by one or you can get like a triple stack where you get like three donuts oh i love that yeah so it's like a meal yeah because a lot of restaurants and they succeed doing it some of them like they use it as clickbait they just it gets you in the door but you know i've done that i've like gone to a restaurant because i saw one item but i won't order that item i'll like i'll go some staple dishes because like what's the staple here well not the fuck shit you saw on instagram it's the (laughs) this dish or that dish um when did you guys start collaborating with like the instagram and youtube community because i feel again you guys went you just showed me your instagram before the podcast started you had like four thousand followers on instagram a year ago and today you have over a hundred and twenty thousand engaged followers like that's that's insane that's insane for for anyone an influencer whatever but for a sushi restaurant in mount dora which is now apparently the hypest place in florida <laughs> um like what what do you guys what do you follow me through that history of like when that started to really pop off for you guys on instagram so the first influencer we really fell in touch with and this is when we first even discovered what instagram was because before then we were curating our own ads and using photoshop to make like these ridiculous ads for facebook just to like you said like a clickbait thing to yeah. see if people like um, paid attention to it. So after we um, started finding some of these influencers on Instagram, Susie the Foodie was actually the first one. Susie the Foodie's great yeah. out in Florida. Shout out, shout right. out. So she taught us everything about foodie culture. And it was upon, I would say, her first visit, taking the photos that she took and then sharing it with, with everybody. It really helped us overcome that are they just gimmicky? Is it for the pictures? And she reaffirmed a lot of people that the taste is there, the quality's there. They're not just like doing it for the gram, like they're doing it for real, for real. Yeah. Why did Why did Susie vouch for you? Just because, was the food good? <laughs> I mean, the food speaks for itself, man. It's really good. These are ingredients that I have grown up learning, like working aside my mother, my brothers, and my father. Just kind of taking what I personally think tastes good and just making it my own. Yeah, and I'm not I, why I ask that is because if ed, if every restaurant met an influencer that shared their photos with them and then mm-hmm. taught them the ins and out of the industry and also personally vouched for the flavor beyond the aesthetics of the food, I mean that's like a dream for a restaurant because I mean, I think the majority of restaurants are just trying to 
grasp the understanding of Instagram just to invite people in and then they cross their fingers and they, they pray for a post or whatever. But for someone to kind of walk you through, here's what I know, I mean, that it feels like there needs to be a relationship there of some kind. Um, did you have a relationship with her before? Was it something where like, was it a established paid relationship? Like w walk us through that because I know there's a lot of restaurants that listen that would have loved to be in the exact scenario that you just described. We, we have actually not done any paid advertising as wow. far, yeah, we haven't paid any of our influencers. We haven't paid any buddy to run a story on us, believe That's it or strong. not. No, yeah. I, I believe it. I because, believe it. Because the level of influencers you guys have coming through, like even big chains can't afford those types of collaborations. It's genuinely about the content, I feel, and about the food. Like I saw Healthy Junk Food, you guys collaborated with them. They're an amazing YouTube channel, yeah. millions of followers. And they came in and they've done multiple things with you guys I now, think at we, this point. Yeah, I think we've done four videos total with them. I saw the 16, so you guys leveled up and you did a 16 pound <laughs> sushi donut. 16 pounds, man. That you guys, if you haven't seen this video, go on Facebook or YouTube and just Google 16 pound sushi <laughs> donut. You can't wrap your hands around this donut. Literally. It is that big yep. and that heavy. It's 16 pounds. And you do, you fill the inner ring with seafood. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's layered too. So you got multiple layers in there. Dude. That cross section though. Yeah. And so you guys really, you guys get it. Like that, that was, that was hot and healthy junk food with that cosine. That's a huge growing YouTube channel. And then you guys followed that up and I saw you guys did a humongous bento box. Yeah, that was the second video. And guys, not like a little bento box. It's a bento box that again, I don't think the average person could wrap their hands around. Yeah. Talk to me, who's coming up with those ideas? Are you guys like, yo, you, hey, healthy junk food or whatever YouTuber, our place is a whiteboard and come enjoy yourself? Or do you guys like start with something? Tell me about it. So. At the beginning, um, it was just really bouncing ideas back and forth with them. They found our profile and we just kind of established a relationship from there. And JP and Julia are great. They're Amazing. fantastic. And they've become really good friends of ours over like the last like year or so making videos with them. And um, so the 16 pound sushi donut, I think Kelly actually curated that idea and prosed that to Julia Yeah, and that was a hit. That was a hit, it was, it was a, a smash. Then the second time around, I believe JP and Julia messaged us and mm -hmm. said, hey, we have access to this dude who can 3D print, let's make a big ass bento box. And let's just like do food emojis, like oversized food emojis. And I was like, I'm about it, let's do it. <laughs> we get so hyped to like do this stuff, it's, it, it's honestly so much fun. And it's like, dude, it's like seven to eight hours of filming. Oh, I believe it. It takes so long. I believe it. I mean, they're a story-driven YouTube channel oh, and they're sure. doing a lot, a lot of things. How do you guys balance, like, do you guys get hate in the community or is it all love? Like, is there, are people like, yo man, why are these guys ruining sushi? Like that's, we get that just covering like the fun that you guys are having. Like there's a lot of great sushi in our country. There's a lot of great chefs out there. You guys get our attention cause you're, you have the quality and you're just having so much fun. But let's be real, there's a lot of haters and trolls out there. Does that bother you? It doesn't affect us really. We're really receptive to it just because we understand that we're taking such a strict traditional form and pure form of like art, you know, in a way and food and just kind of tossing that out the window. And then we're just like, 
bam, you know, here's this like massive sushi burger, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, yo, that's not sushi. And I'm just like, I mean, we're using sushi ingredients. We personally think it's a fun way and new way to kind of reintroduce something like so traditionalist and make it more approachable to people that don't even necessarily eat sushi or even just make eating sushi like a whole new experience within itself right you can take pictures of it have fun with your family and friends and even if you don't like that stuff we have so many other things that people can enjoy we have like the bao buns regular sushi rolls like the hibachi dishes i named but we do receive a lot of love in the community especially in the foodie community in general and we have regulars that come in dude I'm, I'm gonna say at least like three, four times a week. And we do Grubhub too, and we got regulars through that as well. Damn, that's yeah. what's I up. see the names and I see the orders, and I'm like, that's crazy. I seen you ordered yesterday, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Be- because you guys have a higher profile with your audience, does that mean that you also see like an elevated level of negative criticism? And what are people, what, are, what have you heard and what are people saying? I know you say you rub past you, but like, what have you heard? People love to smash that puke face emoji, man. Like yeah, smash, man. bro. Like puke. <laughs> I'm saying this yeah. shit rubs me the wrong way. Like, I, let's let's be real. Like I'll I'll tell everyone yeah. else. Like yeah, I'll fight it off. Yeah. But most of the time they won't say much. But they'll yo they will smash that button, bro. It's crazy. I mean, we see that button smash. I mean, I mean for nudes when we're talking about uh, a ramen sheet pan pizza, right? There's, which was fire. Which was delicious. It was fire, by the way. Shout out. Who was that? Sergeant Pepperoni. That was Sergeant, Sergeant Pepperoni. Oh, yeah. Shout out. Yeah. You guys killed it. Yo, LA Times came through. I'm not going to talk about Nude Beach too much, but LA Times came through. I didn't even know they were going to come. That's dope. And they reviewed and they they picked their top five. Yeah. And, and it was on it. And we had incredible vendors had, there, guys. Yeah. Not that Sergeant Pepperoni's isn't an incredible vendor, but they're known for pizza. And their thing was kind of a joke. It was a ramen crust pizza part jailhouse part, part jailhouse part, part do it yourself at home but but charge pepperonis has great ingredients they make their own pizza sauce they they have this custom pepperoni that's really tiny and la times it was their top dish at nude beach a noodle festival was the ramen crusted pizza he, he joked he said this thing completely took me by surprise i'm still shocked at how much i liked it this is two days after the festival that he wrote this article <laughs> hey guys i bring it up because when we launched that video mad hate 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 hate, hate. and it's and it's actually it's really interesting because i feel like we have a duality about hate on the internet because it fuels views so there's more people that will end up seeing it the more the more hate there is in some way and so a lot of our best videos sit at this 50 50 mark mm-hmm. right that there's this huge community that likes the innovation or wants to eat this food item and then there's another half being like hell no no way but man i i hear you with like people punching that button dude because it, like it, I feel some type of way still. I mean, we are t- we're ten years into this thing, and I feel it because I'm like, fuck, that's a that's a vendor coming to Nude Beach that's donate like not donate, but they're bringing their time, putting resources, they're spending time on R and D, and they're just somewhat getting blasted, right? right? And and we're responsible. We're putting the content out there. And so like, it hurts me because I'm like, man, this is something I'm really excited about, but that people are obviously trashing. Well, here's the here's the last laugh. So uh, 
This all ties back to, to what Wave's doing too. So the ramen sheet pan pizza from Sergeant Pepperoni's probably had the most backlash when we launched it, but Worldstar posted about it. Three wow. million views. True. Sergeant Pepperoni's was one of the top vendors at Nude Beach sales-wise. Yeah. You know, another person, hot, someone created from 10 Asian Bistro out here, great spot in Newport Beach. Uh, Leslie, a friend of ours, she runs that joint and her item was called Hot Nude Pig on a Stick. And it's a slab of slow roasted, thick cut pork belly on a stick. It was so good. It's so good. It's wrapped in crispy noodles, dipped in a Nashville hot butter, and it's topped with Parmesan and a little aioli. People shut on that dish in the comments. Yeah, they, they hated did. like it was vitriolic hate to the point where like I had to check and let Leslie was like hurt. hurt. Yeah. It was awful. But guess who had the last laugh? That was one of the most tasty, delicious dishes at that festival. LA Times put it as the second best thing at that festival. Yeah. So like sales speak, people actually trying it speak. The internet is just people. It's just that, that some of them are great, some of them are awful. And you know, who gets the last laugh? We do. <laughs> you guys do. Well, Wave, does, well, Wave, Wave does when you have people coming through your door for, for the items that you're building. With the success of the items like you had from Sushi Donut or Sushi Burrito, Sushi Burger, how often are you guys actually looking to innovate? How often are you guys actually looking to collab? Because Eli and I know this, not from experience, but because of the conversations that we've had on this pod. Running a restaurant is a lot of work. <laughs> so sure. when you're talking about a brand new, you know, uh, menu item, collabing with a YouTuber, nine hours of filming, when you're talking about like, oh, we want to debut something on the menu and then the marketing that has to come with that or whatever, how do you guys balance that and decide how often you're going to do that? As far as the items go, I'd say it's like every three to four months we come out with something new. Um, everything on the feed that you see on Instagram is pretty much, you can order it in the mm -hmm. uh, in the restaurant. There's of course some things that we do just to push the envelope, just to kind of see what type of reactions we can <laughs> get out of people like the uh, the spicy tuna watermelon. Sushi rice cream. The sushi rice cream cone. <laughs> sushi rice cream cone got a lot of hate. Can you talk to me about that one? Cause sushi I even, cream. I was like, what the hell are y'all doing? Listen, I came home <laughs> from work one day and Kelly has this giant cone that she made in the kitchen and I'm like babe what the fuck is that <laughs> and she's like we're making sushi rice cream tomorrow I was like okay no problem <laughs> let's do it talk me through this and then she's like all right we're gonna do this 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 this, and that so we laid it all out we shot it in one take and that's what we got it was a super overcast day it was really shitty from the rain but we got what we needed I guess and we definitely had some puke face smashes on that one <laughs> So now I'm looking at the comments too. Everyone's like, can you open a shop in LA? Can you do this? This is on the rice cream cone that right. you guys put up. But yeah, the initial wave was like, come on guys. <laughs> it looks good. I got to look at it, Jeff. I'm looking at, it's like a tempura battered nori cone. Uh, a nice hefty scoop of, of sushi rice right right there. Like kind of. It literally emulates. looks like an ice cream cone for, for the people listening. Yeah. It's fun. You guys are having so much fun. I love it. So how do you how do you decide when to push the envelope and when not to? Because look, any I think a majority of restaurants, if they could 
snap their fingers and get an Instagram account with high engagement, they would obviously do that. You guys are choosing to, as you mentioned, push the envelope from a content perspective in a way that people can't even necessarily order it from your menu and it becomes a potential even nuisance, right? For, in some ways, for people to see it for them to request it, for them to ask for it, and to be like, oh, that was just content, right? That's a brand new conversation for contemporary restaurants to have. So what made you, what makes you do it? Is it the excitement of content creation? Is it the value of the marketing, even if they can't order the item? Like what fuels that? I would just say it's just us just having fun. Yeah. It's just generally like, um, you know, what can we make look almost like this and that's what really sets the bar because we can pretty much make anything at that point we can make anything taste decent or passable because we bring in a lot of people to try it whether it's the staff or family and friends but the key is to make sure that it's sellable to your eyes first that visual aspect you know is it aesthetically pleasing you know so i'm looking right now because i hadn't heard of this either the watermelon spicy tuna so apparently a customer mentioned how the watermelon kind of looks like spicy tuna and vice versa. So y'all went with that. How did that taste? So, and what is watermelon spicy tuna? It looks like you just marinated watermelon slices. It tastes like spicy tuna out of a watermelon bowl. Seriously? Yeah. Is it good? Yeah, it's our spicy tuna mix that we usually make. I mean, so it's, it's So it's more for the like, the visual juxtaposition right you're kind of like tricking people because when you when you scroll through their page it just looks like a watermelon until you like look at it closely that that was the idea right to almost like trick people into like thinking it's a cut up watermelon but in fact it's tuna we get a lot of requests for like asmr type videos right now too so we're in like a really interesting space as far as like the food because not only are we advertising items that we sell we're doing crazy shit like the spicy tuna watermelon and people just really dig it they like seeing like the cuts they like seeing the shots they just like seeing us really push it man honestly i mean y'all are content creators at this point yeah what if if rice ice cream whatever made the cut what didn't make the cut like what what's on your cutting room floor right now that you're like you know what this this isn't right just yet the sushi tacos sushi tacos yes we tried that i think probably the end of our first year and we just really couldn't get it right talk to me was it like a the nori fried up as the shell or I what think we were using wonton skins okay. at the time and it's just a smaller kitchen so i don't have a lot of the bigger appliances that I can use. So it was just like an issue with not having the proper equipment to, mm. to do it right. But in the future, we're looking to possibly have a bigger kitchen, bigger space, and that means possibly more menu items. That's what's up, man. From, from the business side, do you guys see any sort of spikes in relation to when you create a sushi ice cream cone that's not sellable at the restaurant, but potentially has a ton of engagement, people are drawn into your restaurant, at least from a digital perspective. Is that part of an overall strategy to get people in the door in Mount Dora, Florida? Or are you guys just like having a good time online and whether it gets national coverage and people in Mount Dora or around Mount Dora see it or not, it's still like good times, good vibes. Like what's the, give me the strategy or not strategy there. So when it comes to 
the items that we have. Um, it's it's pretty crazy. We do notice that as soon as we post anything new, it's like an immediate reaction. Um, it'll probably take a couple days if it's like brand new, brand new. But there's people that show up at 11 o'clock as soon as we open. They're like, let me get a sushi crunch wrap. Wow. I'm just like, yo, did you even eat breakfast yet? <laughs> <laughs> and that thing's huge, man. Walk me through the sushi crunch wrap for those who haven't yeah. seen the sushi crunch wrap video. So sushi crunch wrap, the first thing we do is we take a uh, the full sheet of nori, cut it into a circle, then we deep fry that whole thing so that becomes like your tortilla shell in the center. Right. Then we get four pieces of nori, glue them together with the sushi rice. Uh, we lay rice down, cream cheese, masago. Oh. Then we throw down the spicy crab, the spicy tuna, <laughs> okay. scallions, sesame seeds, yeah. your uh, crunchy nori, that circle piece goes on top. Oh, yeah. Then you get um, English cucumbers, avocado. Slower. Wrap up the <laughs> wrap up the whole thing. <laughs> we wrap up the whole thing and then we tempura fry it. Oh my god, it's, it's pretty it. awesome. The Taco yeah. Bell inspiration is through the roof. You guys are brilliant. There's been some really good food descriptions on this episode specifically. Like um, a man of fatties needed out there. Bro. <laughs> as, as far as the items that people uh, try to order that we don't usually offer, like the spicy tuna watermelon and that sushi rice cream for right now, they're usually not that upset about it they might be a little disappointed but we have so many unique and creative items that they can try that it really doesn't make their experience like that much worse or bad in a sense what was the biggest jump that you guys had on instagram because i did you guys get featured by instagram once? i would like, yeah i was their yeah. page 100 percent. i would say that that was the biggest spike that we had was being featured by the actual instagram platform itself and um, we got a main feature on the story, IGTV. It was pretty crazy. They for, have for what? 300 million followers on the Instagram account. Like, oh, at yeah. Instagram. <laughs> Zucks himself <laughs> was like... The Berg. I, he, he put that shit up. What, what did they feature? What item? They featured quite a few things. Um, the sushi stack, sushi okay. fries, the donut, the burrito, the burger, the pizza... Um, mostly those items and the crunch wrap also it's crazy yeah so we we've worked with a number of what I would say like either baby boomer um, generation re restaurant owners and when they when they're Asian either from another country or Asian American <clears throat> a lot of them won't let us film in the back of their restaurant they won't let us they won't give us full recipes they'll only give us the plated dishes talk about the menu item and the restaurant but they won't let us into like the full process there's a lot of restaurants like you guys now where you guys are showing your innovation to the directly to the camera right and being in a restaurant in mount dora there's there's kind of a ceiling, right, of how many people can visit your restaurant in the region that you're in. Even if you're a wildly successful, which it sounds like you are, huge, very high Yelp score, widely reviewed, widely touted. But from an economic perspective, there's like a ceiling, right? Because if you're you're only going to go there if it's only 20 miles go away, or you can you drive, go. or whatever, or maybe not, and you can you can let me know. But yeah, I'm just I'm kind of curious about how you feel about having R&D open to the public in general. Um, because 
there's a whole generation that looks at what you're doing and like as the complete opposite of the secrecy of recipes that they've held on potentially for generations. Um, That's confidence though too. Yeah, and so I'm just like, yeah, what like, we're doing. like how do you feel? How do you feel about that? And Kelly, you were shaking your head at me because it sounds like you have restaurant goers from all over to tell tell me about how that media has affected the business. We know that in doing things like this, um, it's kind of a risk because anybody could really potentially do it. But well, and the, they are right. right I mean, yeah. No, I mean, once once people know of sushi fries, they're gonna do it. Yeah, like. We've noticed there were a few accounts overseas that are kind of doing the same thing. Sushi hot dog, sushi crunch wraps, and just renaming them into like a sushi. I'm not gonna say it. Yeah. Anyways, um, it's just a certain standard that they're going to have to withhold from that point, you know? And I guess our goal is to just always have that ingenuity where people kind of want to reference our ideas instead of like us taking other people's ideas. So I think in a sense that it kind of fuels our creativity, but it doesn't really affect like us negatively or anything like that. Do you guys think you'd get to a point where your R and D is so serious that you start trademarking before you launch? So imagine Wave presents the sushi hot dog TM or the sushi burger TM, the sushi donut TM. Could you guys become like the next Krona? Krona, you. You can't use the you, you can't, can't use, use the word Krona to market you, to yeah. market right. It's like it's a croissant donut. Like that, no one has the hypest of names. So it's like, yeah, ideas come from all over. But the first person to really coin a name can really take it further, and then you could tax people and license it. Like, yeah, you want a sushi hot dog on your thing? Well, you know, I don't know. Have you guys ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about trying to police your work? We haven't, just because like I would say the most popular item that we have is the sushi crunch wrap. And that term is right. owned by Taco Bell. So we have to crunch space wrap gotcha. every time. But no, that that's never really uh, crossed my mind. I'm not suggesting it necessarily. Yeah, no, sure. I'm just, there's an element of like, right. that's also kind of corny and like, like, you know, but who knows? Who knows? There's times where like, you might just have something so inventive on your hands that you want people to at least associate it with your concept. Like you guys have put in that hard work. I think it's, it's not an unreasonable thing to think of. Because because of the huge audience and and again it's sticking with me Kelly how like the no shaking your head you gave me as I like talked about a ceiling I want tell me about some of the people that have come from far distances to your restaurant and how how common is that It's very common. Um, this past summer we've had so many people that they they just like to visit uh, Florida in general sure. just as a destination spot for Disney the beaches or just to get away from being in the cold weather up north, et cetera, et cetera. With the amount of reach that we have through Instagram, there were people saying, yo, we just took like a 12 hour flight to get here from Switzerland. <laughs> oh. we, we've seen your shit online. Like, we just oh. want to let you know, like, you know, we're so happy to be here. And then they tell me how much they love the food as soon as they leave. And I'm just mind fucked at that point. Yeah. Cause I don't understand, like you traveled so far just to, come to Mount Dora to eat my food. You know, I only got like 15 tables inside. So it blows my mind. I get those stories all the time. There's people that port in Canaveral from the cruise ships will drive from the port just to come see us How and then long go that back. Drive? Probably about an hour and a half, two hours wow. at least. So they're porting from wherever they came from on their vacation, driving to us, then driving back to the ship and 
you know sailing out y'all gonna be on a carnival excursion itinerary okay? <laughs> like, for sure like as the landmark you gotta go try to crunch rap sushi but that story happens at, i would say at least once a week i have someone travel three to four hours either from miami to come up and try it i have people that drive from orlando daily and will drive past all the other sushi restaurants just to come eat at my place are you getting pit actively pitched by retail centers in like orlando and miami to bring your concept to other places We've had a few people approach us about expansion and having a new space, and that's definitely something um, on our itinerary for the future. Mm -hmm. um, we have an opportunity now where we can double in size in a building like right next door. But I'm not gonna touch too much on that just yet, <laughs> but just know that we're working on getting a bigger bigger place. That's what's up. That, I mean, that, that's, ama that's amazing news, but that's actually kind of surprising to me that there, there, there aren't that many people knocking um, because of just the audience that you have. And the business side of my brain is like, if I'm, op if I'm opening a retail center or I'm trying to retrofit um, a center of some kind, like I'm absolutely looking for innovative places that people are already driving you know hours to get their hands on well they would frequent something that if it was also within the same city limits right you talk about people coming from miami which is not a <laughs> that's not an easy drive no, it's <laughs> like you guys would crack off at miami too that's a big request yeah to go down there yeah yeah it's we, a high demand right now yeah we have had a few requests but nothing is official set sure. in stone set in you know there's but, a few people that like message us too and we don't know if they're like legit or not because they're like, oh, we're from Brazil. Would you like to expand this way? And I'm just like, how legit is that really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we, we won't know. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things where, they, that, especially through Instagram DMs, that aren't, aren't legit. Some but again, are, but, but, but some are. Yeah. But some, some are. are. And I think it, that's what's crazy is like you, you guys have done the hard work of building a brand. There's scalability with your brand. It's like, I want everything off your menu right now where I'm at currently in California. Like there's, I, I can't say how much that demand would last or like how obviously from an operational perspective, how that would work from you guys. But I'm curious if, are you guys having enough financial success from the business to be able to think about multiple locations outside of your general area? Because the average person on instagram is going to be like why aren't they in miami why aren't they in orlando because you guys have a following that it like it absolutely trounces national sushi chains yeah and there's not that many but you guys absolutely trounce them and like the buzz and, and the commentary on it i mean it's something that a lot of people yearn for um i, I mean i almost wish i mean orange county we have we have great sushi out here too in mm -hmm. la we have great sushi some of them are having a little bit of fun, but no one's really like dropping their pants and having a ton of fun <laughs> with with their sushi. Frankly, like they're just they're it's just buttoned not. up. The majority of great sushi on the West Coast that I've experienced is it's it it is what it is, right? It's it's pretty traditional. It follows like the Japanese craft, and that's that's amazing. And I think what. You know, even before we started Food Beast, I don't think I would have ever necessarily seen a lane for for the waves of the world because I've like 
because I know that when you're in Japan, you make sushi rice for years before you even touch fish, right? Yeah. Like there's a there's a specific part of that culture that I that I grew up with, but when you're just talking about like what hits your taste buds and is this accessible and fun, like there is a place in time for me to have a sushi donut, absolutely. Because there are only so many times I can experience the intricacy of inaka in LA, which is not sushi, but it's like Japanese fine art cuisine, basically. And it's an amazing $600 a person meal, and it's fucking fantastic and a best meal of my life that I'm going to have once. I'm not going to go back there. I will likely have a $12 wave meal of some kind if it was next to me multiple times up up to multiple times a week right so there's like a different opportunity level for for the per, for each person yeah i mean i want a sushi crunch wrap to go like you guys should have a drive through <laughs> yes i mean can you guys build a drive through in your office building <laughs> a drive through would kill it out here in, sushi in california what <laughs> I, i've never heard of one and all your items kind of fit that mold I mean, uh, the the items that we're seeing on the internet kind of fit that mold. Imagine like eating a sushi ice cream cone, driving down PCH. <laughs> you guys should hire me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys are doing great. Well, I want to. So I want to get back to to the question of, like, from an economic standpoint, is that something in the near future that you guys want to look at? And I don't want to pressure you into that question just because you're on a podcast like and. Every restaurant's dream, once they start the restaurant, is to have more location. So I understand that that's the want of every restaurateur, mm. but is that actually in the cards for you guys in the relatively one to two year near future because of the sex success that you're having or not? And again, don't feel pressured to, to answer any way, but I'm just curious about if that's like something real on the radar for you guys. It was definitely a slow start. So I had a little bit of concerns, you know, with like the location being on the second floor, us not really utilizing that social media to its full potential until later on. But as soon as, you know, we grasped that about six to eight months in, it was wildfire. It did not stop. Our weekdays are like Fridays. Wow. Yeah, our lunch crowds are pretty ridiculous right now and we have maybe like an hour in between and then dinner rush hits and people pack in like yeah, crazy you kept talking about a ceiling um that we might reach but honestly i think the only ceiling is how many seats we have in the restaurant yeah, yeah. But that, that but that's the ceiling that i'm definitely like is part of the equation right yeah. is like there's only so many so many seats that you yeah. have and there's also so much bandwidth from a operation standpoint that you guys can have in that in that restaurant, right? Because as soon as you even even with the what you flirted earlier with like the potential non location next door, that's like a double the size, right? You know that that takes a certain amount of confidence and or investment to be able to do that. And we don't we don't take that lightly. Mm -hmm. Like I think the average person on the street is like, "Hey, Jonathan, what's up, man? It's cr fucking crazy busy in here. When are you expanding?" And you're like. I mean, yeah, I want to, but the the dominoes that have to like fall in line for that to happen, it's fundamentally shifting and changing your business. And if like F Food Beast had to do that, that is not an easy thing. That is not an easy thing for a restaurant that has equipment and manpower and and also Jeff hit it was a pretty loaded question, but at the other end of it, he did leave the. I don't think you need to expand either. 
There's also times where some restaurants expand during success and it's like not the best for them. Like, so it, it's loaded in that like, you don't actually need to do anything, right? Like you don't have to break what works. If you have 12 seats that you can always fill and there's always overflow and then they just have to wait a little bit. Like that's also a nice life as well. But you know, there, there's plenty of restaurants that also ride a hype too hard and then open up three. And then cool, you just split your audience and like now that original restaurant doesn't have the foot traffic. And again, this isn't an example of you guys, but you know, it's a loaded question of you don't, like do you wanna expand, but you don't need to, you know? There's that balance of not everyone needs to expand. There's some restaurants that crush it with that one location. This is a destination that people search out for. It's an experience. Franklin's Barbecue in Texas hasn't franchised and done a hundred of them across Texas and California. You travel and you wait and you wait for that experience and you tell that story when you go, you know? I think there's a balance of both sides. You don't have to expand if you don't want to. Yeah, I think from the food beast perspective too is like we're probably a pretty classic example of like we are a, we are a, we're pretty slow in the sense of growth like overall. Meaning is like we're we're always t- like prioritizing our innovation and quality, which means that it's harder for us to just ex- expand the way theoretically we might potentially want to from a manpower or content perspective like hey if we wanted to do 20 videos release 20 videos a day there are publishers that do that and we could probably find a way to do that it wasn't our lane but it's not our lane and 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 we feel very comfortable in our lane does that mean we're the most lucrative publisher on the planet like no it doesn't but we like our lane and i think why i wanted to have this conversation why i prompt some of these questions is because yeah, I just want to feel what you guys are feeling, you know, because the average person, God, how many times I hear someone go up to a chef and be like, when are you going to open a location in this city? And it's just like, do you even understand what you're at? Like what you're asking? Like you don't, you have no understanding. Like when are you going to buy your second house, fam? Like yeah. you just turn right back. <laughs> oh, we'll see. I don't know. Another house is expensive. I don't know, but you can afford the first one, right? Like that's that's what it's like when you ask a chef owner, like when is your next restaurant opening? Like, okay, cool. Even if this one is smashing, like to take that money, right? Like, oh, we'll get another investor. Okay, how about you get another investor for your next house and then not live in it and then like not take care of it. There's a lot that goes into it and people just think it's such a sexy thing. Like, yo, your your restaurant's popping off. Open the second, open the third. Don't let people pressure you, son. Yeah. You, you really have to find a lot of like-minded people, I yeah. think is also mm-hmm. the thing. Um, recently, in the, I would say in the past year or so, Jonathan and I have really honed in on who it is that we want to hire and who it is that we want to grow with and, and that we want to grow with us. Um, and we've been trying to get those dominoes in place and, and really make it something that is robust and that gives us the caveat to be able to do something like that. Brilliant. Do you guys think it's possible to be simultaneously groundbreaking and authentic? Or does authenticity, or does authenticity like doesn't even matter to a concept like yours in some way? Or does that definition of authenticity change? And the reason why I ask that is because of some of the negative feedback that you can get with this is not traditional sushi. I think we've created a really, really authentic experience overall. And the people that really aren't with it or who just can't get down with it, I think just aren't going to overall and that's just kind of who 
they are and that's just the type of experience that they would get out of it because you could have somebody have an amazing experience someone come in have the same exact one and then they they would say it was shit Mm. so it just comes down to how like who they are how they perceive it but overall i'd say we were really successful in creating something so unique where people want to come for the items specifically Mm -hmm. and then we have so many things that complement that you know appetizers and stuff that they can get while they wait to get these cool things and that really helps out as well do you feel like you have to constantly keep up with the internet on any level just because you're kind of a a restaurant brand birthed out of the internet in a way and you guys put a lot of ton of hard work so i don't mean to shortchange like the innovation that you guys are personally putting in but like yeah i mean the huge instagram following being able to see look at restaurant culture adapting those things to your menu and serving them um is there anxiety in following the internet yeah not really we are really open to it just because those types of things that people do kind of fuel a different spark of inspiration for us like even if we see something visually that they are doing whether it's like a cheese pour or something like that how can i translate that into sushi and what Mm. we're doing to make it you know succulent and sexy looking just Mm. in the same way so we really try to make correlations with everything that we see we try to learn from it and just adapt and just try to like stay on top of it. We definitely sleep, eat, and breathe food oh, all yeah. the time. Yeah, for Actually, sure. Yeah. So you're out here in California, do you guys try to stay away from sushi? Like, uh, I've seen this shit every day. Or, Fun fact. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. She does not eat sushi at all. What? Whoa. At all. At all. Not at all, no. Zero. Kelly, talk to me. I Why? Know. What happened? Who hurt? Who shortchanged her? <laughs> <your life? laughs> Um, growing up, my mom was allergic to uh, shellfish, um, mm. so it was just something that we never really had around. We never had fish sticks. We never kept any of that in the refrigerator or anything. So um, I just grew up without it. Now when I try it, it's 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 you know it's okay, but it's not something that I can see myself working into like my weekly diet. She doesn't try it <laughs> ever. <laughs> that, that, that's never happened. So on your trip now, you probably haven't had any sushi. You're like, well, I'm not gonna. Uh, honestly, I don't really eat much sushi myself just because I'm around it so much, sure, sure. but I'll get down on some fried rice, boy. What? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, real quick, you guys have, you guys have taken a lot of traditional menu items like a burrito, a burger, and you've made them into innovative items that people haven't seen before. There's like... It takes decades and decades for a menu item to be established in a way that you can define it as a burrito or a burger. And now there's, you know, there's only, I feel like there's so many, only so many remixes that can happen to the food that people are like uh, exposed to. Um, Do you feel like there's a never ending set of ideas as it relates to your restaurant? Or is the pace too fast from the way the internet's evolving? I think it's a good balance. We get collabs from time to time, just like you guys were uh, mentioning earlier with the influencers. And it's not really like a scheduled thing. It's just mostly like if they saw something, like they ask us, hey, how can how can we do that? And we've uh, collabed a lot with Shay and Steph from uh, SoFlo Foodie mm-hmm. uh, from Miami with the, um, the sushi cake. I think you guys yeah. shared that on your yeah. page. Um, recently, we did the flaming Hot Cheeto Sushi Burger. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, walk, one more, one more foodborne description. Explain the burger. 
because I don't think people understand if they haven't seen your page what a sushi burger is and you flaming hot cheeto crusted this we did we flaming hot cheetos it it's been done on sushi and burritos before but we've never done it with a sushi burger okay so what's what's the bun so the bun is sushi rice Mm. and then we um put seaweed on top nori and then we'll layer it with cucumbers you can add any uh vegetables you want to it avocados uh carrots radishes etc uh, we usually stick to cucumbers and seaweed salad yeah and then that particular burger the flaming hot um soflo burger we put spicy crab on there and uh sashimi grade salmon oh my god yeah. that's the protein yeah oh my god okay are there are, a couple more questions eli i know you're ready i know you're ready but I'm so hungry <laughs> are there are there pro what are the pros and cons of being outside of major metropolitan in your opinion now that you've been operating a restaurant like outside a major city like what can you share with the the fellow sub- suburban restaurants that are trying to make it i guess i'm glad that we're not in such an area that's so saturated mm. and that way people don't associate us with well there's just another sushi joint around the corner so we're kind of like a destination we're in a very unique spot people are drawn to the items and just drawn to whatever type of experience they're trying to get out of it in general. And they are so excited. Like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to try a sushi crunch wrap. We're gonna get a hot dog too. There's people that order the whole smorgasbord and their whole table is covered in these crazy sushi items. They won't even eat it all. They just wanna take it home. It's a good photo op. Is there, um, if you would, if you were to go back in time and start over from like starting your restaurant again, would you pick Mount Dora? would you would you if you knew that you were going to have like kind of this level of audience engagement success would you have chosen a place with a higher concentrated population or a place that could have more than 15 tables or or would you just plop it right back in mount dora the second time around i 100 percent think that i made a good choice by staying in mount dora um it's kind of like paying like homage to the legacy that my father left behind in downtown Mount Dora. Now I'm following his same footsteps. I'm creating like a new innovative restaurant because for him at the time, the Tepon was hot. No one had a Tepon around that area. Um, All of his experience comes from working from Kobe Steakhouses, which is a huge chain throughout Florida. So he was GM for about 15 years before he decided to create his own place. So. I just think it's really cool. I love the area. We also have uh, art festivals twice a year, and those bring in people from all over the place. So we stay pretty busy year-round and throughout the summer. What's what's next for the menu? Anything that uh, you can announce here on the pod? I think those are some secrets we might have to talk over at lunchtime. (laughs) But we'll we'll let the people know that we're, we're always working. We never sleep. Guys, follow Wave Mount Dora on Instagram and join this army of, damn, you guys just jump, 122,000 <laughs> followers. You guys, thank you so much for coming on the Catch Up Podcast. And thanks, yeah, thanks for flying to go to our f- festival. Yeah. It's been amazing to talk to you guys. Thanks, thanks for jumping on. Thank you guys so much. California has been beautiful. We can't wait to be back. Let's go eat, baby. Let's, Let's go eat. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs>